This is The Definite Article, a show about creativity yesterday, tomorrow, and today. Listening to the definite article. This is a show about creativity yesterday, tomorrow, and today. Uh, I'm Robin Babb over here in Chicago, and I'm joined, as always, by Justin Jacoby Smith over in Washington, D.C. And this time hey, around, man. we've got Sam Sperlin with us uh, talking about an article he wrote and uh, whatever else happens to tumble into our minds. How you doing, Sam? I am great, and I'm from the uh, just north of Detroit, Michigan area, by the way. If we're getting all okay, geographic good. here. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to say something that I didn't actually know, so I'm glad <laughs> you mentioned that. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> How you guys doing? I'm good, man. It's it's good. It's good to hear from you, Robin. I haven't talked to you in yeah. like 20 minutes. It's uh-huh. nice to and hear. Robin, hear I also your voice. have not talked to you, but more like in 26 years. So it's been it's been a while. Yeah, um, it has since we were, you know, in in the stardust in the ether. Uh, it's good to connect yeah, right. again. Yeah, some you know, I've uh, gotten a couple haircuts since. <clears throat> This 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 is this is why we have to appreciate you know that Skype lets uh, lets all that old stardust reconnect <laughs> yeah. through through the uh, through the internet. This is this is you know we're we're all made of Skype dust. That's what Carl uh, Sandburg said. I remember said. that. Um, we're, yeah, we're all made of Skype. Oh, dust. Yeah, that was in that. Uh, had, he was Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he was he was ahead of his time, Carl Sandburg. He knew about the Skype dust so far ahead of the rest of us. I'm, I'm just wondering, are we talking positively about Skype right here? I thought it was like a podcaster like, <laughs> rite of passage to just dump on Skype. Well, well, you know, for, for, from time to time, you have to you have to mindfully acknowledge that uh, that Skype occupies an important place in the universe, even yes. if it's even if it sucks. Well said. Uh, it, 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 you gotta, yeah, you gotta be willing to recognize right. that we're all made of that that same Skype yeah, dust. Yeah, just you like know? you know, stars are eventually black holes. Uh, Skype is, <laughs> you know, kind of kind of borderline black hole sometimes. I feel like it's it's well on its way sometimes. I've, yeah, I've, 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 it, you know, sometimes it's 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 a star, and sometimes it sucks so hard that it's <laughs> not even like an escape. And- and just, just to, like to make hole. the point real quick, if you hear a siren in the background, here's my obligatory, I'm not that far from Detroit comment, so. Ah, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good to know. Good deal. Be, be, Thank you. Be, be well, as we're recording here. You're welcome. Um, well, so, so Sam, thank you, by the way, for, for coming on, on the program. It's, it's a pleasure to, to um, have you. Yeah. I'm really us. happy to be here. I'm always, always excited to talk about the things that I write about, so it's, it's my pleasure. Well, and so speaking of, speaking of, of things that you write about, the 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 particular piece that we are looking at today is this this thing that you just put up. I guess yeah, I guess this, this was last week. Oh, yeah, on on ninety nine U, and this is this was your your debut on ninety nine U. Is that what, yeah? I'm a little I was um, a little confused. This it's my first debut piece there, feature or? article. I've been writing for um, their other entity called uh, Workbook, which are just kind of these small little nugget sized bits of um, information. So I've done a few of those, yeah. but this is the first time that I've mm-hmm. been featured on the main site. Very cool. Yeah. Cool. So, 
And that's got to be exciting that, that that you're getting put in front of. Uh, I, I've seen that the article's been getting tweeted by a lot of uh, a lot of big names, a lot of big organizations are, are yeah, it's out super there, exciting. Be exciting. I mean, especially because I've just been a fan of 99U for a long time. I think most of the stuff they put out is really um, really great, and you know it's been a part of just my um, internet routine for a while now. And I've been to the conference, and uh, it's just you know an organization that I admire. So it's an honor to be able to have my writing uh, on there as well. Yeah, well, you know, I actually, I had not even encountered 99U before I read this article of yours, and so I'm really excited not only to read what you wrote, but also uh, to to find this really cool little organization, and I was, I was just looking at the conference you were talking about that looks pretty awesome. Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed it. Um, they have a lot of, a lot of good speakers. Um, it's very, very design focused, but I, I'm not mm-hmm. a designer. I don't have that background. But I think a lot of the stuff that they write about and the stuff that the speakers talk about are, is totally applicable to people who aren't, you know, necessarily working um, in design firms. Sure. Yeah, uh, their their site yeah. certainly looks like a, a designer's uh, wet dream. It's... <laughs> I think that's their motto. Can I say that on the air? Is that okay? It's yeah. It's this this is this is not a family podcast. You can Good. say you can say what you want. This is a grown up right. podcast. <laughs> We have that. We have that little e next to the next to the episode. Okay, we can, oh, yeah. then, then I, I won't be too self conscious about like lapsing into my former like hockey frame of mind and uh, locker room talk. <laughs> okay. Hey, you're outside Detroit, man. I I, I know how you people yeah, talk. I'm, I'm I know. so tough. <laughs> you people. <laughs> <laughs> Detroiters. Well, so this this piece, this, this 99U piece, what, one of the th- – because you were talking about – you referred a second ago uh, when you were talking about how you had done writing on workbook previously. Uh, you, you said that it, it had bits of information on it that, that you uh, uh, that you led. So that <laughs> I couldn't help uh, but, but catch that <laughs> because bits of information is what this yeah. is what this piece is all about. Um uh, you and for for the listeners, uh, by Hi, which Robin. I mean Robin's mom. Um, for Hi, mom. Th- thank you. Uh, it's good, good to good good to know that she's always listening. Um, for, for for Robin's mom, could you summarize if she hasn't had a chance to take a look at the piece yet? What it is that you're that you're getting at? What your focus is on yeah, in, sure, in the I'm piece at ninety nine? Um, well, the first thing is that I kind of wish I had used a different word rather than bit. Uh, because people automatically started thinking about computer bits and, you know, I had a couple of comments are like, Oh, you know, it's crazy that my memory could fit like on a Blu-ray disc. Like that's not the type of bit mm. at all that I was talking about. I was using it more kind of along the line <laughs> of a piece of information. And, and the article itself is mm-hmm. on the pretty simple idea that our brains can only process so many pieces of information at a time. Um, based on what specific research you look at, um, it could range with the, the, data that I use was roughly about 100 pieces of information per second. And that includes everything, like all visual stimuli that you're aware of, all tactile feelings um, that you're that you're having, smell, um, processing people talking, um, every thought that you're having. So it sounds like a lot, like 100 bits of information per second is a lot. But when you think about what's included in that number, um, it starts to become a little bit smaller. And then if you have this this data or this number of 100 bits per second, well, then you can figure out how many bits per minute, how many bits per day, how many bits per week, how many bits per year. And if you and really the, the number that I came up with is um, the, the 150 billion bits is basically um, taking like the average uh, 
age expectancy. I, I don't actually remember what specific number. I think it was like 82 or something that I took, uh, subtracting out the amount of time that you're asleep. And then that leaves you with a number that is basically the entirety of what you have experienced as a human being. And that comes out to be roughly 150 billion um, bits of information. So then the idea being is once you know that number and you kind of have a sense of just how much you can actually really perceive in a lifetime, well, it becomes a little bit, um, the, the way you spend those bits of attention becomes a little bit more precious. And hopefully um, the, the end goal of reading the article is hopefully you become a little bit more conscious about how you're using those bits because, you know, sitting down and watching TV and, and the other example I gave, you know, of having a, a conversation with a loved one, those take the same amount of bits. Like to your brain, it's processing the same amount of information, but which one is more meaningful in the long run? So that's that's kind of the, the thrust of the article. Well, and there's, you know, I wrote something about probably probably five five months ago or so that I I I was thinking along similar lines, but you you made it even more granular. You you I was thinking uh, I was thinking in terms of hours. I was thinking in terms of um you know if if you if you take out the forty hours you spend earning your paycheck, you take out the forty nine hours ideally that you're sleeping. Um, you know you're left you're left right. with seventy. You know, and forty nine hours is is uh, wishful thinking on my part at least. Um, but um, you take that out, you're I, you're left with with 79 hours and and uh, so the the questions that I was trying to to get to and that I think that you're you're getting to even more closely uh is how are you spending these individual moments that that are yeah. uh, all that you get you know you don't you don't get that many so the question is are are you living these moments in a way that aligns with your values are you living these moments in a way that that is moving you towards the vision of the future that you want yeah, to yeah, live exactly. in. I mean, that's the exact um, same idea. I think I just use a little bit different metric. Um, I haven't really seen too many people really writing about it kind of on the um, neurological level. And and the reason I think that I decided yeah. to write about it is, is actually, I mean, I, all of this, all the credit of this article has to go back to my professor, um, Dr. Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, because in one of his classes that I took last year, he essentially opened up the lecture with, this essentially in spoken form, the article that I wrote talking about how, you know, why it matters to think carefully about how we use our attention and how we cultivate our ability to use our attention because, you know, he came up with that 150 billion um, bit number. And that, I mean, for me, that really hit, hit me in a, in a soft place. I guess it was, I never, um, cause it's, it's such a big number, like 150 billion, like what well, that's huge. But, it's also like some people have like more money than that. And I, I assume the richest people in the world have more money than that. I mean, right. it's not that big sure. a number, especially when you're talking about the entirety of what you've done and, and who you will be. I mean, that's that just kind of struck me as um, powerful. Right. And, you know, the the thing this article kind of reminded me of kind of uh, was a kick in the pants to remind me that. Um, I tend to sometimes, and I think a lot of people tend to do this when I am doing those things that are, you know, having conversation with a loved one, when I'm, when I'm doing something, uh, less because it is mm, going to help my career or anything like that, but when I'm doing something because I enjoy it, there's always that question in the back of my mind that is, is, is this the best way I can be spending my time right now? Is this productive? And, that's so uh 
that's so counterproductive <laughs> uh, yeah. to to have <laughs> that idea because um, you know at at the end of however many bits of information at the end of this you know uh, eighty two year long life it's <laughs> it really is going to be those moments that you sat down and talked with somebody that are going to be important. Um, so, you know, using the word productive almost, almost seems kind of, uh, cheap there, but yeah, those, mm. those are going to be the productive moments of your life. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And the one thing that I think is actually kind of hopeful from the, the, this idea or from the article is that, you know, if you, if you process a hundred bits of information per second, you are given so many opportunities to improve how you spend those bits. Um, it's not like, you know, you get a day and if you screwed that day, well, the whole day is gone. Like you get like, you know, thousands upon thousands of these little bits. And obviously not all of them are able to be consciously used. You're not consciously processing a hundred bits of information at a second, but you still have this opportunity to improve on a minute by minute basis, you know, how you are using that attention. Well, and there's almost a sense of a sense of responsibility here, right? Because it comes down to, you know, the only person responsible for whether you're spending these hours or these bits in a way that's fulfilling and, yeah. and meaningful is you. You know, n nobody else gets to decide how you spend your time. Nobody else gets to. I mean, okay, sure, you can say, oh, we've all got to work. Oh, we've all got to got to pursue certain mm -hmm. obligations. And sure, but but ultimately, you know the way that you work and the amount of time that you spend on that work and whether you're spending that time doing work that means something to you, that's your responsibility to yeah, make those ab decisions. Absolutely. You know, no, no, nobody else gets to make those calls for you. There's, so I think there's a very sort of weighted sense of, of responsibility here. And yet how often, how often do we see people instead of thinking in, in the terms, Sam, that you're thinking about in this article, Instead of thinking in, in terms of the bigger picture, how often do people get sucked into thinking about whether their their note cards have the right highlighter color at the top, you know, or or the, whether their uh, uh, wh wh whether their list of lists of lists it has the right number of lists on it, you know? Um, it, it seems to me that so often people can get can get sucked into the the minutia of of trying to uh, get mm -hmm. get things done to use the to use the sure. term. <laughs> um, People get sucked into that minutia and they lose sight of the of yeah. the bigger oh, picture. Absolutely. I mean, those types of things, and I've fallen victim to that. I spend a lot of time thinking and writing about that type of stuff. It's very easy to let that feel uh, productive because you know your, things are moving, things are happening. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe not earth shattering mm -hmm. things, but you're there's there's movement, and a lot of times movement implies progress, which is obviously not always the case. And if you don't mind, I'd like to come back to something you actually said a second ago. And the phrase you used was mm -hmm. how we work and how that's important. And that's really my obsession right now is thinking about how we work, uh, you know, just as human beings, like how we approach our work. And if you think about how much time we spend alone and how much time we spend doing less than exciting things, like it, our lives do not look like, you know, our Facebook feeds. You know, we're not all always <laughs> doing awesome things and eating amazing food all the time. But right. That is where, like, these times, these completely normal and even, maybe even difficult times, that's where this, uh, mindset of really being careful and, and mindful of how you spend your attention, that's where I think it, there's the chance for the biggest amount of growth. I mean, Mike Csikszentmihalyi, um, he's the author of, of Flow, 
And if anybody hasn't read the book, I highly recommend it. It's really, it really changed, really changed my professional um, path. But one of the things he writes about in the book and the idea of flow basically is just like kind of being in the zone or being so absorbed with what you're doing that you lose track of time and you feel like your abilities are being used to their full uh, potential. But one of the things he writes about is how, you know, there are some activities that seem like they'd be very easy to get into flow. And they are, I mean, like rock climbing and playing sports and playing a musical instrument. Like those activities are specifically made and, and done because it's easy to find flow in them. But the real kind of like master level uh, of this is being able to find flow in the completely mundane things. And it's not, so I mean, it's, it's, it's as simple as, you know, going out and mowing the lawn and having that be an enriching, you know, psychological experience for you. And I don't think that downplays, you know, doing important things in your life. It just, I think, really highlights how much control we have over our attention. And in his book, he writes about prisoners of war from World War II or Vietnam who are in solitary confinement, but devised ways to order their attention in such a way that they were able to get through it. And it was even possibly, in, and you could look at it in some ways as being an enriching experience. And like those stories from the book really, really you know, were very powerful when I read them and made me want to do a better job of how I use my attention. Because, I mean, if, if a guy in a prisoner of war camp in those really incredibly crappy conditions can't order his consciousness in a way that his life is still fulfilling, well, I have no damn excuse to not be able to right. do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I I still have yet to read Flow, unfortunately, but I've read... I've I've read plenty about it. You know, mm -hmm. people uh, love Chick sent me high. Mm -hmm. Oh man, that name. Um, <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> yeah. But you know, kind of going back to the um, you know what what color your index cards. Mm -hmm. uh, the the idea of you know uh, making lists and 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 uh, organizing your time in such a way and using the right productivity app uh, looks even more ridiculous than it, it already appears on the surface when you when you think about flow and mm -hmm. about if if you're doing something that not only that you love but that you can kind of effortlessly get into that state where you're where you're forgetting about time and just doing it because you love the thing you're not going to need those index cards you're not going to need somebody or something to tell you how to organize that mm -hmm. because you're going to want to do it all the time yeah. And <clears throat> yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, like, I mean, that's kind of the elephant in the room that my article leaves. So, I mean, I write about how, you know, it's some productivity is not about like doing these mundane things, but it's about being very conscious about how you spend your attention and, and, you know, living a purposeful life. But I don't actually define or lay out, well, like, how do you figure out, you know, what your purpose is or how do you actually use those bits in a more positive way? I just write about how. It's important. So I, I, I mean, I don't think there's an easy answer here. And I'm actually curious to hear what you guys have to say about that. Like, how do you, how do you figure out what living a purposeful life even looks like for you? Right. I mean, I think that's sort of the toughest nut to crack because I, I think that the answer to that, you know, kind of comes from, it's going to be different for different people, depending on what kind of work it is that means something to them. It's what kind of values that guide their choices and guide their lives. You know, I mean, I think the answer to that question, the, the path to a meaningful life is going to be different because people's lives with meanings are going to be different, uh, you know, composed of different things. I, I mean, I do think when you look at 
I think the people with certain kinds of backgrounds, writers or artists, people that are coming more from what you might call the, the liberal arts side of the spectrum, it seems to me that a, a meaningful life to those folks is going to be one that's made up of, you know, work that allows them to pursue this sort of inner voice, you know, the work that allows them to express the, the voice that's unique to them, the, the, the voice that describes the world differently than maybe it's ever been described by anybody before. I mean, I think the approach has to be different. Whether you're talking to somebody that wears a suit and a tie and, and, you know, and sits behind a desk all day, or if it's somebody that sits behind an easel and tries to make 30 paintings a month like Van Gogh. I mean, w- one of the nice things about that sort of like open-ended approach is that there are still underlying principles, right? We can try to use these to guide us no matter what the medium is, whether the medium is paperwork or shuffling information around in a database or whether the medium is something like poetry, like I'm familiar with. I mean, I think principles like something you were saying a minute ago, Sam, uh, very similar to something that Hemingway said one time. He said, never confuse movement with action. Uh, That's always stuck with me. I think a principle like that, it's a principle that says, you know, don't pretend like shuffling things around, moving things around on lists is going to move you closer to the kind of life you want to live. I think that's the kind of principle that we can apply across mediums and across the board. I mean, I come from an activist background, right? And I can't tell you how tired I would feel after a whole day of meetings where it'd be one meeting that was an hour and another meeting that was an hour and a half. And then another meeting, I'd be like, oh, man, what a great productive day. I had all these meetings. And then I realized all I'd really come away with from those meetings was a list with a bunch of stuff to do. It felt like I'd made all this progress, but all I'd really done was have a bunch of conversations and no real work had gotten done. I mean, there was a lot of movement that I confused with action. I, I feel like that's got to be true in a lot of other cases as well. You know, folks have these opportunities to apply these sorts of principles, and then they miss those opportunities because they're not paying enough mindful attention to the movement of, you know, to the movement of these bits in their minds. They're not noticing that instead of acting, they're just shuffling. And when people don't pay mindful attention, that kind of thing can pass them right by. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Robin, you know, what, what's your take on this, Robin? <clears throat> well, um, I mean, the the first thing I was kind of thinking about was uh, maybe this is um, is kind of a a very simplistic takeaway from it, but um, at the very start, I think that um, living purposely kind of just means doing what you enjoy, um, and uh yeah maybe like like i said maybe that's simplistic and kind of hedonistic or something but um it's uh it's maybe it's so uh, maybe it's so simple and and so concise because it's self obvious or or should be uh i think and you know that's, that's not quite as verbose as justin's theory possibly but uh <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, maybe maybe my takeaway isn't as verbose, but it's also not as um, maybe individualistic as kind of where Justin was going with that. But uh, everybody enjoys doing different things, and uh, when it comes to talking about flow, like <laughs> this is um, you know maybe maybe not very um, usual, but the I remember the first time I actually like really lost track of time doing something I was so wrapped up in was when, um, I (laughs) was fixing my bike, uh, for, it was, when you ride your bike in Chicago in the winter, all kinds of things go wrong. Uh, and so I was, I was spinning all night, uh, working on my bike one night and just looked up at the clock and it was 
four in the morning and I said, oh, how did that happen? Just been playing with my wrenches over here. <clears throat> well, I mean, it's it's funny how that happens because it seems to me like I've always been surprised, just like you, Robin, because the things that sort of pull me all the way in and make me lose track of time, these things surprise me. I mean, so often I have to struggle to do the work that I think is important to me, you know, the work that I think that I care about. And maybe this is a dichotomy, right? I mean, I, I think that certain kinds of work are really meaningful and really important to me, and yet I really have to struggle to get through them, to, to get the work done. I mean, there are other things that I don't think I love all that much, and yet they come very easily to me. You know what I right. mean? I, I can totally lose myself in a whole hour of, of boring data entry. I mean, maybe that says something about the sort of work that that's the, the sort of thing that I, I should be pursuing. You know what I mean? Potentially. I, I also think that, and, you know, I keep going back to kind of this analogy of, like, building habits and building neural pathways. Um, but... Also, I, I think it's much easier to kind of get in that mindset of flow when uh, the task you're doing, honestly, is very simple, uh, is, you know, near mindless. I, I think it's it's very easy to get in that state when um, you don't have to put a whole lot of critical thinking into it. But when you're building a habit uh, of a more critical thinking involved task, such as writing, uh, you know, if, if you do make it a habit to sit down and write X amount of words or pages a day, um, I, I, I know, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I speak for all of us when I say that's, that's, uh, something we find important work. Um, when I, I've certainly noticed in the, just in the past couple of months that I've made a habit of sitting down very, very intentionally sitting down and writing every day, uh, that does, become not only easier, but easier to do kind of in that mindset, uh, which is, is not only helpful and makes it easier, but I think produces a lot more um, good stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, one, one writer that I've really enjoyed following who writes about, um, you know, how do you find like your passion? which is kind of what we're talking about here as well mm -hmm. to, to a certain extent. And I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Cal Newport. He writes a blog called Study Hacks and then also wrote a book yeah. called So Good They Can't Ignore You. Uh, and I think I, I really fall into that camp uh, as well. And his basic premise is that um, basically telling somebody to just follow their passion is, is really bad career advice because mm -hmm. for most people, your passion isn't something that you just kind of stumble across one day and then all of your work ills are solved and you live this super happy and productive life doing that for the rest of your life. It's much more a process of building skills in a certain domain. And as you build skills and abilities in a domain, you start to uncover a passion for it. Um, because true passion really can't come until you have kind of broken through that top layer of, um, I don't know, superficiality or something along those lines. And I, I really like that. Um, I've tried to use that in my own life as well, because then that pushes you to start to not bounce around from one endeavor to one endeavor, but to really stick with one and try to dig into it deeply and, and uncover something new there. But, and I think that speaks also to early last weekend, I, I sat down and I watched, uh, talking funny. It's this, uh, for Robin's mom, who may not know, it's this sort of hour-long discussion 
between it's Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock and Ricky Gervais, the guy from The Office, and Louis C.K. And there's a great line in there that Chris Rock says. He, he They're having this discussion about the difference between kind of gimmicky comics and comedians that have real jokes. How there's a difference between uh, somebody like, uh, mm-hmm. no shots mm-hmm. at Carrot Top, but, but somebody like Carrot Top. <laughs> Not want to make that guy mad. Have you seen him really? Not want to make that guy mad. Uh, but somebody like Carrot Top who goes up and has his props and he, and he does his bits, you know, and that's fine. And that's one kind of comedy, but he has this line where he, he says something to the effect that you can have your funny glasses and your funny hair, but, but the jokes, the stuff that you work on and build your skill at, that's the base. And the, the way he puts it, he says that you can have whatever furniture you want in your apartment, but the steel girders on the walls are what keep the apartment standing, which I thought was brilliant. You know, I mean, if, if you're talking about building a solid skill set, a solid base uh, on which you can try to do something that you find meaningful in order to do that, you first have to have a foundation of real skills. You know, it's, it's the old adage, you have to know the rules before you can break them. You have to understand technique. You have to understand the realities of some kind of a practice in order to build anything with it at all. Oh, yeah, you know? exactly. That that structure that the, they talk about in the video, that's what you that's how that's what you build through discipline practice and and you know deep practice and you know hours developing those basic skills that builds the foundation that you can then um kind of add your own personal flair to yeah it's it's so interesting i think that uh <laughs> that that analogy from chris rock is so uh rich and can go in so many different directions because you guys clearly had had one direction you're going with that i kind of uh took it in in a slightly different vein which was that um you know, because cause I was thinking about all, all of this uh, colored index cards and, and uh, organization and productivity madness uh, that, you know, when when it comes to a task like building a house, uh, you could, you know, sit down and uh, shop through Crate and Barrel for all of the throw rugs and nice pillows that you want, uh, but but that's, that's not going to build the house. Uh, you... <laughs> You can you can do all those things. You can find all the details, and you can organize everything in nice folders on your desktop. But uh, that's you you need the steel structure. You need to actually put in the man hours, uh, person hours. Sorry, let's <coughs> not be gender, gender neutral. Yeah. Um, if if any of my professors are listening to this, they would uh, call me on that. Uh, <laughs> The problem with going to Pier 1 to buy pillows and then trying to make a house out of pillows is that then you have a pillow fort, and you can't live in a pillow fort, you know? Although eight-year-old me would argue with you a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's true. Well, here's, here's the thing, though. Eight-year-old you is not a PhD student. That's <laughs> the difference. That's the yeah, difference. Yeah, if eight-year-old me had his way most of the time, I probably wouldn't be here right yeah, now. Eight-year-old, eight-year-old me would be, you know, quite upset that I'm not a dragon yet. <laughs> Good point, Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to be a dinosaur, so. Nice. Yeah. Well, they don't, you know, they don't have degrees for that yet. Not yet. Fortunately. I would be pursuing it. I mean, I, I really, I, I've, I don't know if we're going long, but I just wanted to make, I actually had two points. One, when you were talking there, Robin, um, I was thinking, you know, so, you know, so let's say you're going to build a house, so you sit down and you start, like, picking out your furniture and stuff, and it struck me that, like, all right, so I've been to a lot of weddings this summer, and okay. everybody signs up for, like, wedding registries where you buy home stuff for the new couple. Mm-hmm. Um, and it struck me that sometimes, it, I bet you, I'm not married, but it seems to me that building a marriage is a lot like building a house. And 
I think maybe a better tradition would be like pre, like setting some money aside as a gift for like preemptive marital counseling. Like that seems like it might be, maybe we'd have less divorces if that was what people gave money to instead of uh, like cooking ware. Well, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I really want to be the one to start this tradition. I don't know how well my friends would take it if I don't buy them a gift and tell, instead hand them a stack of twenties and tell them to, to put it aside for their inevitable marriage counseling. But, uh, um, the other thing I wanted to get hit real quick with the, the talking funny video is one thing that I, I jotted down as I was watching this. I love how much they disagreed with each other on almost everything. Yeah. Like you have like ostensibly probably four of the greatest comics currently living, um, all at the top of their game. And they can't agree. They, they agree on very little, um, which was refreshing to me. It just shows there's really many paths kind of to the same point. So I don't know if there's anything there, but I thought that was cool. Even though they were consistently disagreeing on a lot of different things, they were still able to find a common ground in terms of their respect for the craft, you know, in terms of their respect for skill sets. And that, that to me, seemed to be the, the consistent theme. You know, you've got the office guy, Ricky Gervais, is sitting over there in the corner, and the other three guys are saying, why do you feel bad about being as good as you are? You know, you, you worked really hard to be that good. Like, you don't need to feel bad about mm-hmm. being as good as you are because you worked your butt off. It's like, you know, he got so good that people couldn't ignore him. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Nice. Bringing it around. Yeah. That's what we call a tie-in there. That's what they pay me for. The old reach around. <laughs> <laughs> That's also That's what they call it. That's why we put it. the E. <laughs> That's why we put the E next to the episode. <laughs> Trying to just make sure you guys get your money's worth. Yeah, it's, I mean, that, I think everybody should go watch that video. It's, it's such an insightful look at the process behind, uh, good comedy. Yeah. Um, and, and applicable far beyond, you know, I don't want to be a comedian, but I feel like I learned a lot, uh, from that, especially from, uh, Louis C.K. talking about how he throws out his entire act every year and, and just forces himself to come up with new and better material. Yeah. And Jerry Seinfeld just couldn't like couldn't wrap his mind around it. <laughs> well, I love that bit mm-hmm. where, where Louis C.K. was talking about how he would he would take his best bit, you know, his his closing joke, and he would start opening with it instead. Mm. You know, he, he would try to make his opening joke yeah. just to challenge himself to try to come up with yeah. something better than what his best joke was. I think actually to to fuck himself was the yeah. terminology he used. That, that, I think those were his exact <laughs> you words. You know, he's, he's yeah. Louis C.K. That's that's the kind of thing he says. Right, yeah, he can he can say the F word on stage. Well, and there's another, uh, Seinfeld did a great documentary called uh, Comedian. I don't know if you guys have seen this one, but uh, Comedian is a similar sort of thing. It's, it's, it's a, it's a full length movie examination of this kind of subject, right? It, it was the, the time, he, he talks about it for a second in uh, Talking Funny. It was just after the, uh, the, I'm telling you for the last time tour. This was just after that. He was trying to create a whole new act, you know, from the ground up. And this movie is, is so rich. I saw it years ago and I, I, I took so many notes from it. It's been years now since I've seen it, but mm. the, the one quote that really stuck in my mind after all these years, he says, you get up there and you work and you work and you work, and you work. He says, you don't stop. You just get up there and do it again and again until it's good. I mean, if you want to talk about habits, if you want to talk about, like, having a structure that helps you get into flow, I mean, the way you do that is that you get up there and you do it over and over and over until it becomes easy, until it gets good, right? I mean, I, I think he clearly gets that. I think that his success shows that. 
and uh, Sam, I think you touched on this too. I mean, because it's about building the structure in your work that lets you do the best work that you can do and, and you can create the best life that you can create so that you can pursue <clears throat> what that really looks like once you have the pieces to be able to pursue that. So, I'm, I mean, I, I think maybe you and Seinfeld may be kindred spirits in that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're often, we're often mentioned in the same breath, so I'm used to hmm. that. <laughs> What's the deal with index Seinfeld's cards? <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Is that, is that going to be your bit? Is that your your starting? I was going to say, if there's one thing the productivity, uh, I'm doing air quotes here, scene needs, it's a good uh, productivity comedian. So I feel like the, the market is wide open for that. So it's all yours. For sure. And by the way, uh, Robin's mom or any of the other uh, folks listening out there, uh, by which I mean Robin's mom, uh, if you want to check out Sam's other work, his other coaching and consulting and his other fantastic writing, uh, you want to go to samsperlin.com. That's where you can see all his other uh, archived writing. And there's, there's some really great stuff there, Sam. You know, even before the 99U article, I was uh, checking out the site. There really is good stuff there. So thanks so much, man, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I, I really appreciate the, the kind words. Um, feels good to hear that. Yeah, well, you know, keep on making good things, and we would love to, uh, you know, keep in touch and maybe have you back sometime in the future. Absolutely. You guys keep making cool things, too. I'm really enjoying the podcast. In part of my preparation, I listened to the backlog, so I made sure I was up to date, and I will be uh, listening to every episode here on out, not just because I'm on it, but because it's good. Thank you, Sam. That's really nice of you to say. All right. Thank you very much, Sam, for being on the show. And, Robin, I will see you next week. 